Welcome to the Wisdom Lifestyle Money Show. I'm your host, Scott Dillingham. The goal of the show is to show you how you can grow personally, financially, have a larger net worth, and leverage your largest asset to help you develop the person you want to be. I take you through all the steps I did from being nothing to being told that I was nobody and I was never going to accomplish anything, from getting kicked out of high school to owning a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio in my own company with more than 20 employees. You'll meet our partners, you'll meet our friends, you'll quickly discover how you can improve your life. So listen in and enjoy the show. So welcome everybody to another episode of the Wisdom Lifestyle Money Show. Uh, my name is Paul McAllister, I'll be your host today. Um, if you don't know me, I'm a real estate investor, a real estate coach, and a mortgage agent at Lend City. Um, we focus strategically on um, in mortgages for investors and growing people growing portfolios for investors. Uh, we offer some unique things that other mortgage agents wouldn't offer, which is like, we have a Lend City Investors Hub with 600 investors. We have we actually do a real estate portfolio investment business plan with you. So those are some unique value propositions that we offer. Today, our special guest is Dave Pereira. Is that correct? Pereira? Pereira? He's, his company is Rent to Grow Homes. Um, their mission is helping deserving families earn their way to home ownership while providing passive investors with a target annual return of 20%. 20%. So we're going to get into 20% behind that. Dave, how about you give sure. an introduction and uh, yeah, let's get into it. Thanks for having me, Paul. I started listening to your pod in the, the last little while and I love the the pace of the interviews, the fact that you guys get into it quickly, and there's always a couple of good nuggets that I get out of every episode I listen to. So thanks for, for putting out amazing content. And I think I messaged to Scott Dillingham that his is one of the few newsletters I actually read. I get a ton of emails and don't necessarily, I might open a lot, but I don't read a lot. That one I actually will make time for and, and take a couple of minutes. In terms of myself, yeah, so I've been an investor for about uh, 10 years now. You mentioned Rent to Grow Homes, started that a couple of years ago. And, and like you said, our focus is really around helping people who are helping good renters with good incomes get to the next level of home ownership. A lot of them will get rejected by banks for a variety of reasons, typically not enough down payment, not enough credit score. So we provide that bridge to help them get into home ownership. So we've been doing that for a couple of years now. I was an investor in rent to own before becoming an operator. So that's how I cut my teeth in that. And it's been incredibly rewarding to see families succeed. That's really cool. Yeah. So it's, I love the investment side of things when you can actually make change in community, society. It makes total sense. It's greater purpose. Okay. So yeah, you that was, started so that off. was actually really important for me. I just like point that, that was actually no. really important for me because whenever we like, so yes, I like to make money. I like to make money for my family. I like to grow wealth. But for me, it's not necessarily a scorecard thing. Yes, we want financial security for my wife and I, for our children. But sometimes we make these investments and they're completely into the kind of this black box. And I could invest in Apple stock. I could put money into a REIT. I could do a bunch of things where I put money and later on I get some more money back. But I haven't really made any impact on anything. Even with buy and holds, yeah, we're nice landlords. We take care of our stuff, but we're not necessarily really helping. Like, I don't think we're really helping anyone or advancing society whatsoever. Whereas with rent to own, like you actually are seeing a family who has 
you're helping them with their spending habits and their saving habits. And you're seeing progress over three years from not being able to get qualified by the bank to being there because they've saved more money and we've helped them raise their credit scores. And yeah. at the end, they get, they're already living in the house, but now they get the keys to their home and they're just a moment of pride. It, it's really cool. And yeah, it's one family at a time. We're not a big scale business, but it's something. And it's, it's a nice little legacy to, to leave. Yeah, it's really cool. So I said we're investor focused, but we still have a lot of investors like yourself would be sending us deals to get them on the other end. And I have a deal right now that it's rental and they got it. About, it was, I think, a four year. I think usually they're shorter. We get into kind of the specifics, but I think they sure. saved, they were paying an extra 12 or 1300 bucks for that time. They have about 60 grand down payment saved. And the cool part I thought of this deal was like, they've all worked. So mom and dad worked at the same place for three years and nine months. And the son, the sons are in on the deal as well. So two sons, mm -hmm. grown children, and they both work yep. at the same place for the exact same amount of time. And they all make around the exact same amount of money. It's like the stability okay. of the, this family. Like I want to meet, like a lot of stuff is online, <laughs> right? But it, like, I want to meet yep. them because it's like, how are you so stable? And, but it's cool that they went to rent to own, they've made it work. And it definitely would be like a success story of somebody getting, making it happening. And their credits are all above 700. <laughs> so it's, now that they look great in the eyes of the bank now, right? Because stable yeah. jobs for three and a half years, four of them on title. So the combined income will be great. They've worked to increase their credit score over 700. You said they've saved over 60K with option credit payments of 1200 a month. Like it's, yeah. it, it really, it's a month by month thing. Like the progress is slow, right? It's a really like flat slope, but over three yeah. years, over four years, it's like the difference between point A and point B where you wind up is, is huge. And especially for these families. Yeah, especially you could be paying rent and you, then you're still trying to save it. It's cool that it's structured. It's structured and, and you're getting benefits of, yes, the space. And then from an investment standpoint, I think it's really cool that they're going to obviously take pride in their space because they know that their goal is to get that, right? So you're getting people. I was just talking to one of my friends who's an investor and he was saying, I don't know why, how people do this renting stuff. He's like, people are so disrespectful because he's just getting into it now. And there's this one guy just telling him the, like, and he's, he's so disrespectful to me. And like, he leaves the light. He has a thousand, it's all inclusive rent. And he has a thousand dollar electrical bill. And he's, I don't know how somebody even can have that big of a bill. And he, so it's, but when you're doing a rent to own, it's not something you're going to, you're going to run into. They're going to take more pride and respect Totally, it's totally different because it's an owner mentality. Yeah, yeah just as so. you said, they, the tenant buyers, what we call these temporary renters, tenant buyers, they absolutely have an owner mentality. And there's a couple of things there. Number one, the contract that we have them have with them basically states, hey, you are in charge of maintenance. You are in charge of cutting the grass. You're in charge of snow. So all that stuff that typically a landlord has to do that responsibility has shifted to the tenant buyer. So contractually, they're obligated to, to take care of the place. But more importantly, it's a mental thing. So they aren't seeing this house as, I'm going to be here for a year, let's, whatever. If we leave it trash, no big deal, because we're going to move on to the next place. That's not their mindset. Their mindset is, this is the house that we want to put roots in. This is the house that our family is going to be in for some years. We're going to get the keys in three years and have our own mortgage and be on title and be owners. This is the house we take care of. And it's a totally different mindset. We do inspections of our places every three months or so. 
And it's more of a courtesy call, but I do want to make sure there's no grow ops or I want to make sure everything is going the way it's I supposed I do the to same go. thing. And inevitably, it's the houses are are great. Like they, there's, they've usually enhanced the home. They've spent their own money to improve the home. And every time I go, like in the way we do it, they need to let me know so I can approve it. But I'll always say yes, unless there's a reason to say no. If I know it's going to raise the value of the home, it, it, it makes sense. And yeah. you can see every now and then there's this incremental improvement, a new fence, or they're working on the basement and they're doing something there, or they're like putting in flooring in the basement, right? Like it's one step at a time. They don't have huge budgets, but it's so cool to them. So cool to see them investing in their home. Yeah, it's usually when the wife gets an idea, she's gonna do the idea. <laughs> and also, like even the outside, like I see the exteriors. I have rentals where people like they're like, "Can we do the landscaping? Can we have a garden? Can we?" So when you have those people, those are people that are gonna be long term, and you're automatically, I think, getting that with the rent to own vibe. I think yep. one thing is for the, I do the inspections as well. I do the, because I have interconnected fire alarms in all my places. So that's my excuse to go in on a quarterly mm -hmm. basis and make sure I check off that box that I'm testing the fire alarm. And I'm also making sure there's nothing crazy yep. going on in, in there. It helps me make decisions on certain things if I want to keep the tenant or strategically not, or those types of things. Okay. For our listeners, most people are listening. I know we're on video, but most people are listening. So I thought anywhere, like where is your grad, like where's your geography? Like where do you focus on these rent to owns? Is it all Canada, every in just Ontario? No. So we actually decided to focus in Eastern Ontario. Well, truthfully, if a good opportunity comes up in Welland or in kind of Southwest Ontario and the numbers make sense, for sure we'll operate, we'll look at it. But in terms of where my marketing effort is, where I have a team set up and where I've just tried to establish a presence, it's really been Eastern Ontario. So Cornwall, Rockville, Ottawa region, anywhere in that area. A couple of reasons for that. Number one, we actually want to buying some rental properties in that area. So before we did that, I did a fair, a pretty deep analysis to justify to myself, why do I put my family money into this and why do we have skin in the game and want to actually buy rentals in that area. So I did that analysis back in 2021. Uh, the reason we wound up there is my wife's from Cornwall. So she knew the area, the relationships were there. That was the reason I'd go to Cornwall on Christmas to visit family there. <laughs> and then started discovering, holy, like home prices were reasonable. And when I say reasonable, they were in the 300s, the 400s. Like you can get a home today in Cornwall for 350. A three bedroom, one to two bath, absolutely livable. While that home for 350, the rents are 2,000, 2,200, 2,300. So put that into our investor calculator, and all of a sudden you realize I can cash flow here. So mm -hmm. that was a justification for me as an investor to do the buy and hold there. And then as I started meeting renters and just talking to real estate agents and mortgage brokers there, started to realize there is a huge potential for rent to own here because of incomes. So there's a lot of people there who work at Walmart, the Walmart distribution center or the Olimel factory. There's, there's a lot of sort of large corporations with tons of people making, let's say 50K, 50 to 60K per year. But as a couple, they're making 100 to 120. If they are making that much money and... They just need time to save a down payment and they need time to repair their credit. And in small towns, um, and a lot of people I'm talking to, like 
they weren't necessarily trained in terms of how to maintain their credit score. Financial education just wasn't a thing. And those of us in our 30s and 40s know that. We just didn't learn enough of that in school. So I talked to a ton of people in Cornwall who apply. And there's always like lots of stories as to why their credit scores are so low. And the ones that we wound up working with, you can see that they've changed their habits. You can see there's motivation on their part onto why like they want to be better. They've already saved money with the hope of buying a home. So they've got skin in the game on day one. Um, and so just realize there was a lot of people there where it made sense. Now, when I say a lot of people, for every hundred people that I talk to, we probably will let two to three in the program. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who would love the idea of owning their own home, but they just don't have the incomes. They're, they have way too much debt. They're on ODSP. And unfortunately, the bank will never recognize that as a source of income for a primary residence. So we cannot solve it for everyone. The reality is we probably are able to help 2 to 3% of the inquiries that we get or the forms that we get on our website. But still, those 2 to 3% are thrilled with, with the process and how we work with them. And yeah, so we've decided to stay in that market, Eastern Ontario. We'll probably expand to Welland, Niagara, look at those areas where, again, if cash flow is possible, then we can make it work. If cash flow is way too tight or there's no argument for appreciation in that area, if I think, I think GTA could come down further. And GTA, it's impossible to cash flow already. So I would never touch GTA for rent to own. But in these smaller tier two, tier three markets where there's a case for appreciation and cash flow is, is available today, those are ripe for rental. So I guess one, I've got a deal done before with ODSP somehow. I forget yep. the lender, but it was a while ago. Okay. But there will be there is some lenders that will take that income. There's a lot of parameters on how. So I understand why to stay away from it. From a lending standpoint, when they get to the end, is there a certain lender that you find is are doing these rental owns? Like I know I have a list of about 15 or 20, but is there one that particular that you're seeing your clients get financing, final financing with? Or is it just spread out? Oh, are you involved it, in that process? It, or you just go get approvals? Or how, do, how does that work? Do you stay you know, away from it? or? No, I don't. I see my job as risk management. And part of the risk I need to remove is making sure that they're not stuck at the end. So I will typically let them work with, so I have a mortgage broker who has qualified in the very beginnings, of course, nice. with the partnership I have with him, he will ideally work with the tenant buyers to, to, to place them. Realistically, one thing we've tried to do is avoid even saying rent to own to the lenders. As much as some lenders just don't want to touch it, even though the Canadian government has come out and said, this is part of our housing strategy. The banks haven't totally bought into that yet, and they're still remembering the scam stories and all these sort of horror stories, and their risk management people are saying, do not touch rent to own. So there's some banks where we just don't even bother, but overall, we try and structure our things and make things, set things up so that the word rent to own or the phrase rent to own doesn't even need to be mentioned. It's simply a sale between a seller and a buyer. That buyer just yeah. happens to be living here already, and here's where their deposit is. Yeah, that's so really cool. So there's leave it kind of open. Yeah, no, I think I literally called around five lenders yesterday to ask about rent to own. They rent to own, no rent to own, no right away. Just not even a thought. I'm like, these are good. Yep. I just say the people I just told you, but they're like, no way. And then I found 15, but still, it's people didn't even usually BDMs want to talk. They're like, no. 
Yeah, so I, I find it interesting. But one thing that I realized, because I, I had submitted to a deal and I got it declined, it you have to, like, this cool thing that you have going is meeting up front when you're making the contract with the mortgage person, the mortgage broker. They're going to know the guidelines. They're going to know how to set it up. For example, like, one of the declines was the mom and dad signed the rent to own, but the kids weren't on the rent to own agreement. So that doesn't meet our guidelines. No. That's the reason that was like, I was like, they're, yeah. they're, these are above 700. I have everything going. And they're like, no, it doesn't meet the guideline because so if you went to the mortgage person, they would know where they're going to go and they would know how to structure it and they would make sure that those things happened. So I think it's really smart meeting that mortgage person up front. Um, yeah. I'm someone, I'm someone who thinks that common sense should be applied in most situations. And what I've learned is the bank doesn't agree with that philosophy. So yeah, and this wasn't even a bank. Like this, was, yeah, like, I, or any lenders, right? Like again, yeah, I get yeah. their job is risk management, so I understand that. But if if they just looked into the story and saw that these are people with good saving habits and they've done everything they're supposed to do to get to the finish line, and you're yeah. gonna nail them on a technicality of like their name wasn't here, really. But to avoid all that stuff, that's why I get the broker involved in day one, and he's the one who says here is the appropriate budget for this family. So in terms of just quick process, like I said, maybe two to 3% of the people who apply make it to the starting blocks. And what we have to do is I have conversations with them, understand motivation, understand okay, what's their story. I'll collect some quick numbers on them. But more importantly, my broker will then get the actual paperwork and really do a validation of is what they said, is that true? What is their real credit mm -hmm. score? What do their pay stubs look like? What do their tax returns look like? So then we do the hardcore, okay, what is their financial story? And if there's stuff that we see in there. We want to talk to them to help let, have them explain it to us and make sure that we feel comfortable with that explanation. Uh, I'm never going to do a deal unless I feel comfortable because if I don't feel comfortable, I cannot give it to an investor. So I need to feel good. My broker needs to feel good. He'll give me a limit. He'll say, okay, in three years, these guys can safely afford this number, assuming rates are at this point at this level, and we're going to do the 2% extra for the stress test. So we know what we're working with. So it takes a long time for a tenant buyer to get to that level. But going back to your point, yeah, I want my broker to set those guidelines and then also tell them, here's what you need to do to repair your credit score. And then I'll talk to them about, okay, what's the right way to structure this? Who's on title and how do we do this so that in three years, in four years, we get to the finish line. It's an easy transaction. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So I think... From all of that, I understand some of the process. I think we got the profile of a tenant buyer. It's somebody with good income that's trying to improve their credit. I'm assuming like new immigrants, divorcees, anyone like that. And then even young couples or families that they're trying to state, they're trying to pay off student loans and they're trying to build that down payment. So to me, that's the, say your profile of tenant buyer in your situation. So what is the profile of yep. the investor? Because a lot of these are investors listening right now. So- how do, let's get into the profile of an investor and let's get into how does an investment work when they're actually uh, investing in this type of thing. So the profile for an investor for rent or grow homes, or even for rent or own in general, is someone who wants to be passive. So number one is they're not looking for hands-on management. They don't want to be tinkering at the house. Literally, they want to say, here is some money. In three years, give me more money back. And over the course of those three years, give me a bit of cash flow. But I don't want to hear anything about this house. I don't want a tenant ever to call me. You let me know if there's something I need to know. 
but I expect this to be pretty my easiest investment for the next three years. So okay. that's really how we try and tailor this is because our investors are looking for that experience. They don't want to deal with tenants, toilets, any of those things. They literally are saying, hey, take my money, give me more money back. In terms of who those types of investors are, there's a lot of first-time investors where they want to get involved in real estate, but they don't necessarily feel like they have the knowledge to, to buy and hold. And they, they, don't want to, they don't want to jump into the buy and hold and the risks associated with that and the tenant management and the property management and all that stuff, they, but they want involvement in, in real estate. However, we have a couple of investors who have two or three properties, and they just, but they have extra money. They don't want to take on more responsibility of managing a thing, but they want to deploy more money into real estate, and they love the idea of 20% annual return. So we actually do work with a couple of people who also have some buy and holds, but they just want to diversify. For me as an investor in rent to own, it's honestly been the easiest money we've ever made in real estate. Not necessarily the most money, but the easiest. So if you think about the return, like we, so we promised 20% annual. If I compare that to my buy and holds that I have, if I did the spreadsheet ahead of time, I might be able to get 25, 28, 20, 30% if I, with certain appreciations, cash flow and all that stuff. If I bought a good house, put in good tenants and ran the numbers with like occupancy at 8% or whatever it is, right? you might be able to get 30%. What I've learned as a buy and hold investor for the last 10 years is always these unexpected expenses. Mm -hmm. And there's always stuff that comes up. And that's what always, when I do my taxes at the end of the year, like where did that $2,000 come from? Like, what is this? And I have to go look at the receipt. I'm like, oh yeah, the air conditioner can't go to replace that. There's always this stuff that happens. And so the nice thing about being a rent-to-own investor, nothing happens. The whole idea about rent-to-own is it's predictable for the investor, predictable for the tenant buyer. We know the price of the house today. We know that what that price is going to be in three years' time when they buy it. We know how much cash flow every month that investor is going to get because we the mortgage is locked in. It's always a fixed mortgage we do. The only other two variables so that we year? have to worry about are insurance and property tax. Three-year fixed? Is that usually the terms? So yeah, we often do, yes, we often do three-year fixed. And then if we need to extend the deal to a fourth year, then we'll do that. Okay. But typically we look for three-year fixed. And so the nice thing about rent-to-own is everything is generally predictable. There's just no, if we do a proper home inspection before the purchase, and we always do a conditional purchase on inspection. So then I have my inspector who I trust. He goes in and he knows what I'm looking for. I don't want any major expenses in the next three, five years. Check the roof, check the water, check the foundation, check all the things that are going to be the pain in the butt things to solve for. So we sometimes we've said no because of an inspection. Sorry, I think we, but we, we had a little, go ahead. No, sorry. It glitched a little bit. I heard pain in the butt. Yeah. So basically going back to the theme of predictability, we want to make sure the house we buy is a good house. That's not going to incur issues in the next three to five years. And that's the whole point of the inspection. So if you can remove all those major issues, you remove major expenses. And so that's what allows us predictability. So I want to go back. And to, so going back I'm to the 20% return to the investor, the reason yes. I'm, I, so I can't say I guarantee 20% simply because, sorry, I'm noticing Wi-Fi issues thanks to one of the, I think it's me. Can you hear me, Paul? Can you hear me? I think I might have lost you for a second. Hey, Paul, is that better? Hey, Paul, is that better? 
We're going to take a pause. Paul, can you hear me? Paul, can you hear me? You're back. It's okay. We'll edit it out. We'll edit it out from where we were. Do you know where we were? Yeah, that, oh yeah. I wanted to talk about the, what does a 20% look like? And then you said you can't promise 20%, but then you, that's where it cut out. Okay. So I'm giving you a hundred grand. Then when you, the contract starts, you're automatically giving a percentage of something per month. That's cool. And then the end of it, you'll, at the end of the, whatever the difference is at the end, that's when you're going to get a big payout. Right? Is that my understanding? Okay, perfect. All right, that makes sense. And then in terms of reporting, is there like a monthly, quarterly, annually? What kind of, I know these are handoff investors, but is there like an email they're going to get? How does that look? Makes sense. That's really cool. So I think an investor is satisfied. Now I'm thinking from the investor standpoint of all the questions they would want to ask. Um, I think before we close, I want to hear, hear some, I see something that uh, for poker, so I'm a poker player. I used to play for semi-professional online tournaments for about four years or so. I, I, I kind of floated around Central America. I lived in, I've lived in poker houses with some of the best in the world, literally. And so I see that you like poker and your wife, you and your wife both play poker. What kind of poker do you play? Because poker is a broad thing, right? So I say I'm, I'm tournament poker. But it's, it, I, the reason I bring it up is in front of me now, I have a two cash tables set up because uh, we're playing poker tonight. So what kind of games do you play for, in terms of poker? And, and it's investing, right? So to me, poker and investing, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, what kind of poker do you play? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, you paused again. Come back. Oh, Right when we're getting into the good part. So I could sit here and I'll wait and see if he if he's frozen now, Peter. But yeah, I could talk about poker forever. It's something that I play a lot or I used to. And uh, yeah, it's all numbers. It's math, it's logic, it's science, and it's really closely related to real estate investing, right? You're always hedging your bets. You're always wanting more information. You're always wanting to use that information against your opponents. I like that you're not playing the house, like you're playing the house in every other game. That's why I don't play any other game, but I play poker because I'm playing people and I know I can beat people. It's the same thing with real estate investing. I know that I have an edge over the market based on my strategies. The same thing with poker. So I'm going to keep going for a second while we wait for Peter. He's going to reconnect. But yeah, let's continue talking about poker, hedging bets, risk management, property management, managing those chips is property management when to take risk, when not to take risk. Winning small pots is like appreciation. I think I could start a podcast just on talking about how interconnected poker and investing is. So yeah, if you're a poker player, if you're in the Windsor and Essex County area, reach out to me. I have a friendly game. Yeah, that maybe we could, I'd love to see some of these listeners in person if we can. Also, I guess since we are waiting, I'll plug that Lend City Investors Hub community where we do live events talking about let's run the number burrs. We get every professional there is related to real estate investing. We have special seminars on how lenders look at things. A lot of live webinars, you can get involved. Just DM me at turnkey McCallie for the link. And yeah, so it's something, it's, a, it's free for now. We have 600 investors and it's growing every day. And the next couple of months, we expect to hit to a thousand investors across North America. 
why North America? We do lending in all provinces, but we also do lending for Canadians investing in the States. So we can, if you're looking for properties in the US, we can also take care of that for you. And that's why we, we don't want an investor to not have to deal with us just because of where they're investing. If there was an investor that wanted to invest in Costa Rica and wanted to figure out the finances, that's something I would figure out for them. Because we are, we, our goal at Lend City is that no barriers to where where lending is, we will try to make sure we get you the best deals possible. So I will pause and hope Peter joins back. And yeah, so I just talked about poker the whole time there, Peter. And I, I said, we're not going to pause. I'm going to talk about post poker and how it's so relative to real estate investing. I talked about risk management, property management, meaning manage your chips, picking up small pots, making the right play, understanding where your edges are. I talked about <laughs> insurance, talked about, it's to me, poker is about math, logic, and science. And if you can tie all those together, I think real estate investing, I thought I was like, I think I could do a whole show just on poker and how it relates to real estate investing. And I think I have an edge in real estate investing over people based on my strategies and how I apply it. The same thing with poker. If you do poker, like for poker, if me and you play, sure, you might beat me one time. But if we play a thousand times, that's where you're going to see a big deviation in the results, either good or bad. But that's what real estate investing is too, right? It's the more and more you do it, the less and less risk you're going to most likely, the variance will be less. But sorry, so it cut off with you talking about poker. You give me your swing on poker. And yeah, I, I totally agree. I think one thing I had written down so I don't forget and I can still focus on what you're saying is, is mindset. It's the mindset, that mindset you have. So for me, when everyone says, oh, like it was luck or I, I very rarely, I can't say never get emotional for poker or for investing, but it's very unlikely. Again, I played 20,000 games in one year, literally. So it's, if you were to get emotional when you're playing, I used to play 27 at one time. So if you're getting emotional, you're going to mess up. And it, it and then that, it will lead to, it, it, compi it compiles. But I, I think mindset is important in both real estate and in poker, but I don't see it as luck. When I get it in on the, all my job is just to get it in good and anything else. Like it's not many times, even if you get it in pre-flop or even on the flop, there's still always usually a 4% runner is still a 4% chance. So to me that you think, oh, it's 4%, that's not much, but is it like still one in, what is the exact math on that forward? Huh? Yeah, one in 25 is still happening. And then just going up 8%, people like, oh, it's only 8%. Now you're at one in 12. So it's still one in 12 times, one in 12 times. And it's not that just like it happened right then. So it shouldn't happen the next, it's one in 12 every single time. So it's, to me, uh, I don't get mad when people win. I get excited. I, I don't honestly, that's my literally, I don't get excited when it's online because I can't see the people, but if it's somebody that I see, I actually get excited for them. I'm never going to be like, damn, or it's because I'm planning to make the better decision. I know over the long run, I'm taking all their money. And if somebody wins, it's good. Cause when I lose, I usually lose little when I win big and I usually win often. So it's, you can't get mad at those things. And, and I, I tie it to real estate. I don't make emotional decisions. Like I don't get emotional when a tenant kicks in your wall or those are things that do not impact me because my mindset is ready and aware. That's a part of the game. It's just a part of the game. And the longer and the bigger and bigger. So like, we're going to talk about your portfolio to close it off in the next 10 minutes. 
So I have 16 doors. And when I get to 160 doors, all the little things that it's just going to be more and more things are going to happen. And there's going to be no surprises. Right. And then you can't get emotional about it. I don't know if the four agreements, I live my life by the four agreements and don't make assumptions. Don't take anything personally. Don't take anything personally. So like before I used to live in Toronto and I'd be in traffic and people giving me the fingers and doing all screaming at me. And I used to scream back and I used to like, oh, and then I read the four agreements and it changed my life. And I realized like that person doesn't know me. You don't know what that person went through. They could have lost their whole family that week. You don't know what they're going through. They don't even know you. So don't even take it personally. It's not personal. And too much, too many times, even that renter, you might think it's personal too, because it's your property and you've met them or whatnot, but I don't take actions of others personal. And I think that's in poker and in real estate investing. That is my advice to all the listeners. When you're getting into the game, after you've been into it, you grow that thick skin. But I think it's very important mindset and emotions like poker is very important for real estate as well. <laughs> Loser. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. How I learned poker is through asking questions to poker players. And it's really cool that in, in investing, it's the same way, right? You look at people who not saying that you're going to do what they've told you, like how they've done it, but at least you have that kind of that point. And I find investors definitely very open to talk about their trials and tribulations and like having those conversations with people who's been through it, very valuable. So it's really cool that you've done it from the rent to own perspective. I've done it myself in, in terms of my burrs. I'm a burr guy. I love burrs. So it, I've reached out and I've done the same thing on my journey. So for your portfolio, we have five minutes. What kind of portfolio do you have? Where do you like to be, I guess, right now in this current market? Yeah, do you want it? We can finish with that. This year, hope it change. It will change this year. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the U.S. lending is really cool. I've actually just done my first couple in the States. Uh, so we do U.S. lending. I, I think, I don't know if you've seen it on there. Uh, as long as you're Canadian investing in the States, we can do lending in all States. And so for myself, I'm the same way. I'm headed to the States. Uh, I went to Dallas about two or three months ago. I'm planning to check out uh, Houston. Oh, I went Dallas, Fort Worth, looking at properties. I just need to put my boots on the ground too. I've done a lot of research, but I need to put boots on the ground. So Dallas and Fort Worth, going to Houston, Austin, and going to Florida. And he's basically Florida, as long as it's not outside of kind of the hurricane area where you can still get insurance and like it's less risk. And then I've even heard of Ohio and even Georgia. Like those are like different places that I'm looking at myself. But I get what you're saying. It is a lot to set up. We do have, I think, on our, our, on our investors hub, we've had a, a company that does it. I don't want to drop their name here. You can contact me and I can give you the information. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense. They provide a lot of value, right? You can find those companies that they've done the research. They The reason that I like this one particular company is they have property management set up in almost there in all the states I just said. So that is invaluable to me. Yeah, I think it is. Start with an S. Yes. So it's, a, yeah, same line. We can, it's in our line. So they, the reason that I like them so much is because the biggest thing is when you buy a property, I can, sure, I can get a realtor. I have investor-focused realtors in a lot of states already establishing, and I'm actually going to get them onto the hub. And, and they're providing me so much value. I don't see realtors here providing me as much value as some of those American investor-focused uh, realtors. Like, they're providing me all the numbers. They're providing me, like, pages and pages of great information to make decisions on investment properties. But 
Furthermore, that's not the struggle. I can get my own properties. I can find them. But then it's like when you need to renovate them, who are you getting? And then placing the tenant, that's a whole nother thing. And then maintaining it. And so to me, having you know, the investors there, the lending's there because we have the lending, but then the property management to me is a missing, that makes me the most, that's to me, that's the most risk. Yeah. I live downstream. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Makes sense. I think it's a good place to, to start to close is it's not always with the money. It's why are we doing it? We're doing it for a lifestyle, right? It's a lifestyle. If you tell me that I got to work 23 hours a day for all the money in the world, I'm not going to do it. It's just, what's the life. So it, it makes total sense. And I feel like in the beginning for you beginning investors, you want to do everything. And I used to want to do everything as well. And then as you, after you get seasoned, you realize that it's actually costing you more than it's. I used to, I used to do my own painting. And I have a good story. So I thought I was a good painter and I still think I'm a good painter. But then I, one time I, I got new drywall, new place. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to save money here and I'm going to save $3,000 and I'm going to paint myself. If I count how many hours I spent painting and then I, how many roller marks I put on that brand fresh new ceiling. And then I called the guy, I was like, how do I get those roller marks? out? He's like, you ruined that new drywall. You should be ashamed of yourself. And so I said, I'll never paint. If I paint, I'll paint still, but I will never paint new drywall ever again. And so you realize that your time is worth money and you've realized that I can tell. And it's those decisions of, oh, it's going to cost you 10 hours. You need to have how much is it really costing you and how much is your time worth? And is it worth you having a sore back for the next month or two? So it's cool that you know that you want to invest in the States and that's how you're doing it. Definitely consider the same thing. Um, but yeah, it's, so that's your direction for this year. So Ontario, now you're going to, you're still going wide though, but if you go wide with, yes, yeah, that's definitely, I agree. That would be a good, I like that idea. So it's, yes. Yeah. And I think with that is, and I'll tell people, cause a lot of people are coming to me right now about buying in the States and I'm usually, I'm setting the main thing I got to do is set them up with a corp first right? So you need a court before you buy. You don't need, but you should. 98% of the time you should. If you buy in your personal name, you're going to get double taxation. But buying an investment property is a court first and it needs to be set up correctly. Or was I going with that? The reason? Oh yeah, your credit. So when you start a corp in the States, and I have a show on this in the hub February 15th about how to set up the corp, the steps to, that are involved, how to set up the bank account and all of those types of things. But the reason that I bring it up is you start off automatically with a 680 FICO when you open a corp. So as a Canadian, you start a corp, you start off 680. You're going to access to certain rates. They're not going to be the best rates, but they'll be decent. We'll find competitive product based on where you are. But the main thing is after I have a client that's been done it for a year and a half, and now his FICO is up to 713. So over time, you're building your FICO and so when you are willing to pull more triggers, even though you bought a little property, your corporation is building its credit and which will allow you to build your higher FICO means lower rates and let your money go further for you. So I like the strategy. I don't know if you've thought about it that way, but it's not just about building the reserve of cash. It's also building the, your FICO, which allows your cash to work even more. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It makes lending a lot easier. Yes. Yes. So that's something to consider. Peter, we're at time, but it was really nice to talk to you and connect. 
Is there anything else you want to say to the investors who have held on this long? How do they contact you? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We will have the information in all of the descriptions in the different platforms where it goes. Thank you for joining. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And until next time on the Wisdom Lifestyle Money Show, I'm signing off, Paul McAllister. Cheers. If you're serious about real estate investing and you want to take it to the next level with the least amount of time and mistakes, then you're going to want to sign up for our Real Estate Investor Hub. Visit CanadianRealEstateNetwork.com and hit the blue button or banner that says Free Investor Resources. Inside, you'll have access to real estate investing courses, networking opportunities, webinars featuring industry professionals as well as dedicated chat channels to share and get access to unique properties. I look forward to seeing you there.